make noise. Make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise. Make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise. Make noise, make noise. Make noise. This is my man. I want to introduce him properly. Uh, first of all, he's, he's a Hayes alumni like me, Carlo Hayes, up Hayes and all the small men. He is he is a world champion. I gotta say that lineman, Pittsburgh Steelers, a world champion with them. Played for the New York Jets. Also, also the co-host of the Two Bigs podcast on Barstool Sports. Give it up for my man Willie Colon. What's happening? How you feeling, bro? What's up, my brother? How's everything? Everything is good. Everything is good, man. Uh, let, let's start here, man. Let's start here. What do? Because I want to get right to it, man. Uh, there's so many questions that I usually have these conversations with you on your podcast. I just went into it. I want to do it on mine. Um, let's start with the with the basics. What did you like about football as a child? What 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 made you do it? Well, I was a big Lawrence Taylor fan growing up. I love the Giants, man. But Lawrence Taylor in particular, you know, he was somebody who just seemed. He was like an outlaw. He walked around like a titan. You know, uh, I was a guy who followed him on the field and off the field. And, you know, he was one of those guys that seemed like he's nothing that he couldn't do. And I was enthralled with that. And I just had this, I just had this, he just played with such a level of violence that I appealed to. And uh, I just always had that neck. I was always the kid. <laughs> I was always the rough kid that in the neighborhood that everybody hated to play with. You know what I mean? Cause I was, I love you know, I had me and my brother, we, we loved wrestling and, you know, we love uh, the Legion of Doom, and we love just being rough and tumble outside kids. And football kind of allowed me to do that um, in a legal way. You know, I mean, allowed me to kind of get that. And you know, I grew up in a project school. You know what it is? I grew up in Melrose, boxed in. You know, seven people living in an apartment. You know, two bedroom. You know, the kitchen, kitchen in the uh, kitchen and living room. Damn near, you could touch each other. So. That 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 aggression, all that kind of that that the angst, that uh, that uh, the energy I had, you know, man, the, the football allowed me to release that. So I just uh, I, that was just my calling. Legally, you could you could really go out there and just fuck somebody up, and when the whistle <laughs> is over, you could finish kicking their ass, and then I'm gonna kick your ass one more time. Right, right, okay. and then on top of that, it teaches like football. You learn so many life lessons, man. You know, just uh, one of the. I think it's easy to when you get knocked down, get back up, uh, train your discipline, be fearless. There's always going to be somebody bigger, faster, smarter, stronger than you. How do you defeat him? You know, what's your preparation look like? And those are just life skills. Those, there's always going to be obstacles in front of you that you physically have to just get over. And you have to, and the, the main goal is to win and get it done. And especially when they're paying you a lot of money, man, there's no, there's no room for excuses, just execution. So you learn that, and you and you learn a lot about yourself. You learn how you handle stress, time management. Uh, so there's so much that goes into being a professional athlete. Wow, it's not just it's not just you get a check and you get a Lamborghini. You've really got to work at this. Just going off the beaten path for a second, because you said something that I really want to touch on. When someone is bigger than you and faster than you, how do you deal with that? How how are you able to deal with that? So a lot of people ask me who was uh, who was one of the toughest, one of my toughest opponents. And for me, it was Lodi Nada for the Baltimore Ravens. That, and you got to understand, scoop. Yeah, you got to understand, scoop. Like when you go, when you make it to the NFL, everybody kind of has a superpower, right? Everybody kind of has they're either super fast, super strong, really intelligent, agile to jump out. You know, everybody kind of has something. So when you go against somebody that pretty much matches your superpower. 
what do you do? Because I Haloti was just as fast. He was just as big. He was just as mean as I was. He was just as strong, smart. And we both, him playing for the Baltimore Ravens and I playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, we both wore our team colors, you know, inside. We bled it. Like, we both was like, listen, we we, we ready to bang for our, t- our respective team. So, with all that said, what do you what do? You do? And my, I just, I, I just went back to my Bronx roots. I just had to fight that motherfucker. <laughs> you know, I just, and that's, I that's, that was just my mentality. Anytime I played the Baltimore Ravens or played somebody who I felt pretty much matched me toe to toe, I just had to kind of just go into this, put my foot in the middle of the ring and let's bang it out. Because one thing I knew growing up that my father instilled with me and being a Hispanic man from Puerto Rico is you can never let nobody break your will. And I just always, I always relied on that. My will will always overcome anything. And if, if I just put my nose down, grind and fight and dig and never give up, you'll be fine. You'll come, on up, you'll come out on the right side of things. And that's been a story of my career. And um, I think a lot of people, a lot of young kids, especially when they, get, they face, it, face adversity or they face things that they really can't explain or really don't understand, they tend to kind of back down or, you know, walk away. You know, I was blessed with the ability to be tenacious. You know, I've always, you know, a dog's most tenacious when it's back against the wall. And I've been that, and I've been in that situation a lot of times in my career and even in my life. So I just always had a, a level of tenacity to just keep going, you know, because where else are you going to go? If you think about it, I knew I wasn't going back to Melrose in the South Bronx. I knew I wasn't, you know, that, that, that apartment I just talked about, you know, living with seven people in a two-bedroom, bathroom, kitchen, small-ass living room. I wasn't going back there, so what else did I have to do? I had nothing. And so my mentality, my mentality uh, was fight. Just fight till you can't fight no more. Now, 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 when you go, because basically at that point, when you're going against somebody like Haloti Nala, and I know who that is, Haloti Nala is a cool dude. You guys are literally fighting every play. How right. do you deal with each other after the game? <laughs> That's one thing I. It's funny, man, because I was a. Uh, I had an interview not too long ago, and we were talking about a lot of these plays. Jersey swap, you know, at the end of the game, you'll see a guy give his jersey, and I, and you know, they kind of show love. I hated that. I never did that. I never believed in giving my jersey off my back at the end of the game. I thought that was, you know, not and not to discredit anybody that does do it, but I just thought it was, you know, that's my that's my father's name on my back. He doesn't deserve that. I earned I earned those numbers on my chest. You know, just because we friends, um, and to do it after the game, I just I just felt weird about it. I just had this real kind of, you know, barbaric not barbaric. I just I just didn't like it. I just felt like you know a handshake and a, and a nod. It was all I needed. And then I, most of the time, I got giving you my jersey. I, after off season, you like, hey, big homie, I want to put your jersey on the wall. Fine, I'll do that. But do it right there at the end of the game. I just I just didn't like it. Um, I never did it. I've had guys who I have no. I have nothing but love and respect for asking for my jersey on the field, but I've denied them. Um, just because I just, I, I just, I just always walked on the field with so much passion and so much pride that I just, it, I just, it, it felt like a form of submission to me, and I didn't like it. So I just, uh, I usually, and then, sure enough, in the season, a guy called me up, hey Willie, I love you. You know, I want to put your jersey up. So, so I'll, I'll mill a guy a jersey, no problem with that. You know, that's just love. But to do it right then at the end of the game. Um, yeah, I just knew I wasn't for it. So I think I lost your question, my boy. No, no, you got it. You're 100% right. Bro, you were really awesome. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. And, 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 and I guess that you have to approach it like that because if you're friendly, you could get yourself hurt or run over 
going or going or going whatever. So now you go to Hayes in the Bronx. Why Hayes? Hayes was the powerhouse at the time, or, or was it? No, they. You understand? They were. They were the school I always saw because they were right next to the project. So um, I would always hear the guys practicing on the field. I was always enamored with just having seeing guys running around with helmets on their head. So I would always see them. And um, for me, it was it was a situation where I, you know, I wasn't I, I could play hoops, but I knew my I didn't I wasn't trying to go to the NBA. But even with the, even with playing football, I wasn't I didn't have aspirations of going to the NFL. I just wanted to make a living. Um, football was really a calling for me. I felt I felt it. Like I, I tell, I laughed at. I had a conversation when, uh, on my podcast, the Going Deep podcast, my football podcast. I remember, I think it was like in Pittsburgh, man. It was like a fall day. It was beautiful. It was, it was a hard nosed practice. We all beat up. It was like in the middle of the season, kind of like one of those dog days. Everybody has them, you know. It's like November's gray, um, and and I started I started crying uh, on the on the. Uh, after the practice, and I was just, I was just so blessed to just play, to be doing something I genuinely love. You know, what I mean, I was just so blessed and so like humbled um, that I, I got choked up and I laughed. And only was I laughed because I heard somebody else say the same thing. And so going to Hayes to play football was a calling for me. I just felt like I belonged there. Um, I loved everything about it. You understand when I got to Hayes, I actually, cause I was, I was hooping that summer. I had missed the tryouts. So my first day, my first day at Hayes, uh, freshman coach was, his name was Bill Jensen. Old scraggly ass, wild Bill Jensen, big mustache, Coke bottle glasses. I mean, old school is old school can get dirt stains all over him. He was actually a chemistry teacher. Uh, and he was downstairs about to walk into the field, and I was like, hey, Coach Jensen, uh, you know, my name's Willie, uh, William, he's <laughs> like, my name is William or Will, I said some little shit like that, and uh, he was just like, oh, he's like, oh. I was like, uh, you know, I want to I want to come try out for the team, where do I sign up? And he looked at me, he was like, sign up, son, <laughs> we got a game this week, like, this trials is over, right. and I was heartbroken, I was like, what, what are you talking, nobody sent me a message, he's like, yeah, son, we, we send we send out tryouts, um, you know, schedules in, in June to kind of get you guys ready to get the uh, freshman, the incoming class ready. And so I was mortified by it. And he looked at me, he looked me up and down. He was like, what, what size shoe do you wear? And at the time, whatever age I was, that was my shoe size. So I was, I was 13 as I was wearing 13. When I was 14, I was wearing a 14. He said, like, you got some big ass feet. And he was just kind of looking me up and down. He was sizing me up. He was like, listen, man. We'll make room for you. He said, well, let's, he's at like, first you got to try. I got to see if you can do anything. He's like, have you ever played football before? I was like, no, I never played football before. He was like, you know, I just, I can play basketball. And he was just like, all right, well, come, uh, come next week and uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do for you. And so next week I came, my mom went to Models, brought me this old school navy blue uh, sweatsuit. I didn't think I had cleats. I think I had some fucking uptowns on some crazy shit. And <laughs> in the grass. Right. <laughs> in the grass. And I walked <laughs> and I walked there. I walked on the field, team suited and booted. How much shoulder pads, everything. They was like, listen, man, we, we since you've missed a good time, a good portion of this time, we can't really throw you out there. But at least you can participate in like the jumping jacks and kind of like that stuff. And I just went ham, man. I was doing up downs, I was doing jumping jacks, I was running laps. And I was like the last. I had to be at the end of the line with the rest of the team because I didn't have nothing on. And I just went hard, man. And so a week went by. He's like, "Listen, you want the biggest son bitches out here? Obviously, you got to take for it. Um, we, you, you know, 
get your physical, do what you got to do, and then come on back. So I got all that cleared out, and we ran and we ran the wish, uh, wishbone, the trip to offense, excuse me. And uh, I they had me at fullback. I was I was five eleven at the time. I was two hundred fifty pounds. Um, so they, so uh, while Bill Jensen and he's the one that really started calling me Willie. Nobody called me Willie. He just, okay. he just yeah, he was just like Willie, and I just my ears would perk up like a fucking rock waller. And he was just like, you're in there. And he put me at fullback, and I'll never forget it. My first game, I think one of our first games against Holy Trinity in Long Island, man. I was at fullback, getting no shit from Shiola. And uh, he gave me the ball, man. I busted for like a 10-yard run. I just I just steamrolling people. I don't, I didn't have no juke moves, Scoop. I was just straight ahead. Right. Running. He, he told me to hit the A-gap. I just ran full speed at the A-gap. I, I remember one time, uh, I, I'll never forget the linebacker, some little redhead kid. He was just like, he's like, He's like, my forehead hurts. He's like, you don't want to shake or nothing? I was just like, no, I'm going right through your face. And that's the day. I just put my head down and wham. And I did it all. I did it through the whole game. And uh, it, those little stories like that, man, I just, I was just always humbled, man. I was so happy to just do something that I can just get that out. That kind of just, you know, that, that, that energy. And, um, and I, and then my sophomore year, I went to, uh, I went on to play. They moved me up to varsity. And then uh, my career was just through the roof from there. Now, 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 now. In in high school, what are you playing? Are you playing offensive line? Or are you playing full? So I so yeah so I played so I was playing my freshman year I was playing fullback and defensive line, and when I got to varsity my sophomore year I played defensive line and I played offensive line so I went both ways, and I just pretty much did, did that all the way through uh, my career at Hayes. Now 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 who who's the coach there at the time? So at the time uh, my varsity coach was uh, Coach Sterling Alves. Alvarez, I think that's correct, uh, and Coach Coop, and uh, C.J. O'Neill, who's currently the head coach right now uh, for the program. He was uh, he was a young. He had just I think he had just got there, and uh, so he was helping out on the team. And uh, it was it was like we had about five people on the staff, and um, yeah, man, and it's just history. Now, now, so here you are. You're playing the line. You're doing your thing now. How how do how does it work with scouts coming to see you? How, how does that work? Did anybody come see you? Were you recruiting? Mm-hmm. What was the process? Yeah, so my, my story is a little, it's not different, but because I, I, I've heard other guys kind of go through the same situation. I was a horrible student, man. Um, I, was a, I wasn't a good student. I just cared about, I cared about football, cared about girls, and I cared about just being a man. You know, I, I was a very, I wasn't a good student. I didn't really have an appetite for it. I failed off the team three times during my Hayes career. Um, and that's one of my biggest regrets in life, man, uh, that I wasn't, and it wasn't that I didn't, I didn't have it upstairs. I just didn't put in the effort. It just wasn't, I didn't, I didn't like school. And I regret that because when you get in the NFL, bro, your, your whole job is in a film room. Like every, like I said, everybody has that physical ability to do X, Y, Z to, 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 to be able to do your job. But from the neck up is how you win. And so how you prepare, how you write your notes, how you study, you know, the little things. A quick story, when I was, um, it was, I think my, I think my rookie year, even my rookie or second year, I think I had, I had got the nod to start my second year with the Steelers. Uh, I had beat out Max Starks, got the position. And I was in the film room and the older guys were sitting in the back. If you was kind of like, you know, middle of the, like if you two or four, four or five years in the league, you sat in the middle, and then the young pups sat up front. So I sat up front. So I had, I was new. I was only in my second year, 
And so my online coach at the time was a guy by the name of, uh, at the time, though, Russ had left. So it was Lance Zerline. I think it was Lance. Um, and he came and then we're going through game because Wednesday is pretty much installed. So we're installing plays, how we're going to attack our opponent through the week. We're going through a bunch of stuff. And I'm sitting down, I'm looking at the t- I'm looking at the film and I'm listening to everything he's saying. And my notebook is nothing on it. It's probably just my name, some bullshit things, but it's nothing. Right. And so my office line coach, he's, he's been at the, you know, he's been on, he's been going through film with us for at least an hour. And he looks down. And he goes, Willie, you haven't been writing your notes? Like, I'm like, no, nah, I got everything. And he's just like, well, where is it? Like, I don't see anything on your on your pad. And I was just like, oh, well, I was like, well, I, I, I've been paying attention. He was like, okay. At the end of the meeting, our left tackle at the time was Marvell Smith. And Marvell was a, a straight OG from Oakland, played at Arizona State, hardest fucking boat, rusted boat. Nails. I mean, this is one of my motherfuckers you didn't lock eyes with. He was tough as nails. Okay. He took he took Marvell's notebook and he slapped it right down in front of me. And he goes, "What do you see?" And what we said, "What do you see on no, uh, Marvell's notebook and on your notebook?" And I was just like, and "I was like, uh, obviously notes." And he was just like, "Yeah." And so Marvell, he's like, "Marvell, your first." He goes, "What's what's on your first sheet?" And he was pretty much. And Marvell was like, "Oh, he broke it down." He goes, "My my opponent, his special move." The plays, the audibles, um, you know, little tags on the end of plays. Like he just had a spreadsheet. So we went. He, he flipped over four pages, bro. He had four pages of notes from and two hour meet for Wednesday, and I had nothing. And so he was like, "This is." He goes, "Marvel, how long you been in the league?" And so Marvel was like, "I've been in the league." At the time, he had been in there seven years. And he says, "How many Super Bowls have you won?" He goes, uh, one. He goes, how many playoffs games you've played in? Over 15. He goes, this is called a professional, really. Wake the fuck up. This is this is how this is how professional plays. This, there's a reason why this man is going to Super Bowls, Pro Bowls, and playoff and playing in playoff games and making his money. This is why you, this is how you survive. You're oh, you always have to be prepared. And and I and I attribute a lot of uh, my lack of preparation because I wasn't a good student earlier in my career. You know, studying. You know, when the class, when the teacher was talking and suddenly fucking goofing off or, you know, yelling out, get okay to the homies walking by the fucking, you know, I should have been at least learning how to organize my notes, be able to read my notes back so I can process all that. So much of football and sports is just processing the information to, and in a, in a format that you can understand it and while you're in your own private time. Um, and so I learned, I, I was humbled so many times throughout my career, um, that I, you know, I, I just, I take all that, you know, now I, I'm, now I'm the same way. Now I, my wife's on me now, especially when I do my podcast and stuff. Sometimes she's like, listen, you gotta, you gotta do X, Y, Z, get on your shit. And I kind of got to pick myself up and I just gotta be, I gotta be mindful that if somebody's working and somebody's prepared, because it's the time of saying school, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Bottom, bottom line, that's just, that's just the bottom line. And I struggle with that to this day. And as a lot of times, I gotta go old school, bro. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put myself in the corner of the house, just no TV, no radio, and just fucking dig. And that's just how I'm built. Um, but to my point is, <clears throat> when it comes to why a lot, a lot of schools didn't look at me because one, I didn't have good grades, and two, they loved what they saw on film, but I just couldn't pass. I couldn't get clear because you gotta, you gotta get past clearinghouse. And so I remember North Carolina walking one day, 
Well, excuse me, North Carolina, South Carolina, they walked in, they saw my transcript, they just laughed. They was like, you got to go to Juco. You're not, you're not going to do anything here. And, and, like, and once, once that uh, kind of narrative got out, you know, a lot of schools was like, man, send him to Juco, send him to a community college. If he clears, we'll come back for him. Well, we'll come get him. And I was terrified of that because I knew, I knew guys, I had known guys to kind of take that route and never make it back. They kind of back on the block. Oh, people, Juco is junior college. So when you can't yes. cut it in regular college, you got to go to like community uh, college, get your shit together and come back. Right, correct. So I didn't want to do that. And so I pretty much ended up going to Hofstra. Uh, at the time, I was choosing between UMass and Hofstra and a couple other schools. Uh, in Atlanta, it was called the Atlantic 10 at the time. Now it's called the CAA. Mm-hmm. And when I got to Hofstra, I had to sit out a year, get my grades up, and then I was eligible to join the team. And uh, Hofstra was good. They had just one Atlantic 10. Uh, they had a bunch of guys going to the league each, each and every year. And at the time, for me, this, this decision, I, I was going to go to UMass. But I chose Hofstra overall because my mom was sick. And I, you know, for me, a kid from the Bronx who had never left the Bronx, one, you know, Boston felt like I was going to Colorado for some reason. I just, I just had this support mindset. And really, Boston's nowhere you can drive to Boston. Um, I was just afraid of if something happened to my mom, me not being able to get there and kind of keep out So, and Hofstra had good football. I was familiar. A lot of, and I loved the vibe. I loved the team. And it was just, it was just it was what it was. Now, now, Hofstra's not a football factory, but like you said, a couple of guys go every year to the NFL. With that being said, everything that you said about education and, and, and learning and stuff like that, do you think that colleges for kids who play professional, are going to play professional sports and are good, should they allow them to let their major be sports? Like, your major should be football, and you should learn everything there is about football because it's not going to apply. No, because I think it's not a lot of not a. It's only like twenty five hundred. It's only twenty five hundred people in the league. Players. It's not a lot of people. So, and I understand the aspect of you know when you have a plan A, having a plan B is setting up a, a kind of a room for failure. I think if you if you choose to go to college, man, find out what your passion is and attack that. You know what I mean? Like if if you want to get into music, if you want to get into X Y Z. You can do both. You just have to manage your time. You know, as far as you know, footballs. As far as football being like kind of your major, I don't know necessarily. I agree with that because I think you can have an outside major and still be a hell of a football player. It does happen. It just takes your dedication and time to get it done. Um, but I think a lot of guys. I think one thing colleges do have they need to be more held more responsible as far as if a guy leaves college. That he, should, I mean, you can't come back and finish a degree, whatever. Um, but I do believe that it should be forced first. Like a lot of these kids, they're going to these big schools, knowing that they're, they're probably going to get a shot at the league. But I think football, excuse me, education needs to be put. This needs to be pushed harder because I've seen so many guys, man, who just go out of training, leave training camp, and then when they try to, if they don't make it. They go back to school and they're trying to figure it out, and there's this disconnect. If you start pushing education early, like, listen, hey, let's get you out of here in four years. Let's get you out of here in three years. So at least no matter what happens in the league, you have something. Because my wife said this to me the other day, and it makes total sense. It doesn't matter what your degree is or what it says on the paper. It just means that you completed something, that you was, you was committed to your four years of academia. So um, 
And that's what a lot of kids, they leave, once they leave the Oklahoma's or the Texas or whatever they, schools they come from, a lot of them don't finish, man. And, you know, once you, once you're out of school and you can continue to make money by any, you know, by whatever you do, it's hard to sit back in a class and, and listen. It's hard to go back. So I just, um, I, I wish these kids really got their degrees more. Right? Cause I see a lot of guys who get cut and they're lost. They just, they're just out there. Because yeah, it's, it, it, it's it's probably hard. Just just the mental part of it is probably hard. So now your draft day comes around. What happened? Do you go to the combine? Are you at the combine or no? You. Come on, one second. I can't hear you. I can't. Hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have my I have my finger covered. My bad. Uh, I didn't go to also game. I didn't go to combine. I uh I was an all American. At the time when I, I graduated that winter and my office line coach, he was pretty much like, listen, you need to start taking the league a little more serious. At, but in my head, um, I didn't I was trying to go into law enforcement because I didn't think I was going to make the lead. I just didn't. I didn't think about the NFL. I really was like, because at the time I was living with my quarterback, living in his attic. I had a mattress on the floor and a dresser. And I, like I said, I wasn't going back to Merrill's projects. So I was like, I got to I got to figure out how I'm going to pay this man rent and how I'm going to get around. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license. I was just gunning. I was pretty much dating two girls at the same time. And they were pretty much my, sh- <laughs> they were, they were my, they were shuffling me around. <laughs> what happened, Scoop? No, no, no. You, you no. probably got jammed up. You probably got no, jammed I was, up. I'm, I'm telling you, I was, I was on my hustle shit. I was just really just trying. I was trying to pay rent and I was trying to eat. And I was, you know, I was trying to get it. And my office line coach was like, listen, you need to start taking it serious. The scouts are here. Let me, let me stop you there. At no time, nobody told you, yo, you have NFL potential. Nobody nobody came to you and said, wait a minute, hold on, man. Like, you doing the thing here. I had I had seen I had seen a lot of guys get the same type of story. You know, I had seen guys before me who were like, oh, this guy's gonna get drafted. This guy's gonna this guy's gonna do this. Wait till you get to the league. There were guys before me that Coaches were talking to them like that. But then once training camp was over, they were coming back to the school working out with us. And I was like, that can't be me. You know, I got to eat. I couldn't ask my mom for money. My mom didn't have no fucking money. You know what I mean? So I had to get a job. So my folks was like, I got to get, once I once I leave Hofstra, I got to learn how to get, I gotta get some money so I can eat, so I can get around, so I can survive, and then uh, make, the next, uh, make, make, make my next move. And so to fast forward, I ended up getting an agent. Um, I, I visited like, Damn near, I think 28 teams uh, worked out for a couple teams, and on the day of so my draft day story is a little wacky because when you so when you get drafted when you prepare for the NFL draft, they ask you to have um, a cell phone and a landline. Mm-hmm. You gotta have it, right? Because if your cell phone doesn't work, at least they can call the house and be like boom and let you know if you got drafted. Fine. At the time, I, the first round, I was projected to go between like either a priority free agent if I was to get drafted late in the rounds, whatever. So I really kind of wasn't – I really didn't know what was going to happen. A lot of guys don't know how it's going to turn out. I was playing with a guy, one of my good friends, one of my best friends, Marcus Colson, who had a hell of a career with the uh, New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. He was projected to go, uh, I think, second to fourth round. So I, at the time, I was the house I was staying in, I was with a bunch of guys and I was looking to see him get called because I wanted to be there and kind of grab him to call him and like you know because he was my roommate in college, so I was really happy for him. And so the first day draft goes by, I had uh, I was like, man, I just I got to get out of here. So I went to my sister's house 
in the Bronx. Excuse me. I'm burping on your thing. My bad. So uh, we go to the Bronx. And then I get as I'm going to the Bronx, my agent's like, listen, there's a shot. And this is, we're talking about day two. He's like, there's a shot that, you know, somebody may call. So just be by your cell phone. At the time, I had a T-Mobile Razor Scoop. Love that damn phone. Phone, phone never did me wrong. Love that right. damn phone. Get to my sister's house. Sleep on the couch. Wake up. It's blazing hot. It's like hot as all hell. Um, I'm like, okay, draft day. I'm watching, you know, Chris Berman. And they're doing a the kind of day one recap. And about to go into day two. And so the teams who I thought I anticipated that I think w- that would have picked me up was Miami. I have, so I have visited Miami three times. Buffalo, I have visited Buffalo twice. Um, I, when I was doing my tour, visiting all these teams, I was only I only sat with the Pittsburgh Steelers for twenty minutes. Literally, I walked in the building, met the met the met the strength coach, uh, met Bill Cowher, talked to him for like ten minutes, sat down in my office and line coach for like ten minutes, and literally I was. In a in a limo heading to the airport, so my right. my agent, that's yeah, right. my that's it. That's it. It was nothing. So my agent's like, "Oh, how did it go?" Like you know, I was like, "I don't think they like me at all." I mean, they, I don't think I sat down. I think like every, every conversation I had, I was standing up. So whatever. So draft day comes. Uh, once again, I'm in my sister's house. Pick up my T T Mobile phone. It just doesn't work. My phone's not working. I'm freaking the fuck out. And I'm just like, and I'm shaking it, and I'm thinking like, man, did I not charge it? Like, I'm, I'm kind of freaking. My phone just is not working for whatever reason. I'm watching the draft go by, first on the board, the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills go up. So I'm like, oh, they take, they take a tackle or somebody. Dolphins come up. I'm like, oh, this may be it. Done. So the Cowboys, uh, supposedly, so not to go jump ahead. So the two teams that, once again, I thought I was going to get drafted to, they, they go off the board. They're not taking Willie Cologne. So miraculously, my phone's sitting on the kitchen table. It pops up, turns on for some reason, and it's my it's my agent. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like, I've been calling you all morning. Like, I told you to have your phone by you. Supposedly, the Dallas Cowboys were going to call. Potentially, were going to try to take me, right? And I was just like, I was like, I don't know. My phone just stopped working. He was like, Well, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, You just got to stay by your phone and see what happens. There's still some other options out there, but." You know, just stay by your phone and, and keep your phone on. And he was like, where are you? And he was like, I was like, oh, I'm at my sister. She's like, well, the landline you gave these teams and these agents, it, that's not your sister's house. He's like, you were staying at the house. It's totally dummy. Didn't even think about the landline. The landline I had gave him was where I was staying, where I had just left the night before. Right. So I'm like, oh, I'm like, all right, Willie, this is, this is going well. So I'm all frustrated, man. And I'm, you know, I'm really down on myself. And the phone is sitting there on the table. Uh, my sister has a little terrace, so I'm at the terrace, hot once again. I'm overlooking the, you know, I'm overlooking the Bronx, and my sister's like, you know, she's trying to be really sweet. She's like, it's all right. So we're gonna be worked out. You'll be fine, and you know, we'll see what happens. And the phone rings, and four one two pops up, and I'm just like, she's like four one two. You know that area code? I'm like, nah. And so I pick up the phone. And she's like, so my sister picks up the phone. She's like, hey, who, hello, this is uh, Willie's phone. So, so she's like, can we talk to Willie? Come on. I get on the phone, and it's Bill Cowher. And Bill Cowher's like, hey, we're about to take you far from 131. Do you want to be a Pittsburgh Steeler? And I just cried. <laughs> <laughs> I just bawled my, my eyes off. I so, my so, eyes out. I want to ask you a question. Because everybody fucking cries. Everybody cries. There's nobody that doesn't fucking cry. What? What? Why? Why? Why is that come out at that time? 
Man, because it's just, it's a dream come true. Like I said, I didn't dream it. It wasn't my dream. My dream was to eat. My dream was to make rent. My dream was to be able to be self-efficient. Why I didn't have to depend on my mom. I didn't have the dream to get to the NFL. I know how much work I have put into it. I know how much I cared about the game. I knew how to, for a kid out of Hofstra to go in the fourth round who wasn't on a lot of people's draft Wait, boards. It, like I was, I was, I was considered a small school runner. So it was me. Uh, Kevin Booth, Jahari Evans, we were kind of like these small school, like, everybody was like, look out for these guys. If they pop off, they can be great pros. But I wasn't, like, and I was and I was an All-American. I was a Walter Camp All-American. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I was at the time my draft class was Reggie Bush, uh, Reggie Bush, uh, Vince, uh, who was it, Vince Young, and all these guys were, like, I wasn't up there. You know what I mean? So I was, my mind was very blue-collar. I was like, I gotta eat, bro. Like, I just wasn't focused on it just seems so far-fetched to me. And when I got the call from Bill Card to – first of all, I didn't even know what the hell Pittsburgh was. It, it was just wild. It was crazy. It was crazy. My, one, my mom's a diehard Steelers fan. She loves Franco Harris. Right. Two, the, at that Super Bowl that year, the Steelers had played the Seahawks in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Jerome Beckham. Right. And I actually betted again. I was, I was training at the time in Connecticut. I uh, was staying in the house. And my family had came out, brought some food, and I was actually going against the Steelers. I was rooting for the Seahawks. <laughs> uh, so it's just it's wild how it all transpired. But the tears come from just being overjoyed, the stress, the, the the hard work. You know, just a lot of a lot of people don't know. Like it's easy to be in the gym when everybody's looking, right? When everybody's watching you and they can see you grind. It's different when nobody's around, when nobody's looking at you. So many times I had to wake up. Throw on my shoes, dark, when it couldn't even turn on the lights, and I'm doing push-ups. I'm doing this, just you know, just and you kind of have this in your mindset. Is am I doing enough? Is it working? Does anybody see me? You know, they they may feel me, but do they see me? And so many of me just uh so much of my spirit was just keep your head down, just keep pushing forward. And so to kind of have all of that kind of just like the light just kind of open up for you. Um, especially to to get drafted to a team that just won a Super Bowl. I mean, a kid from the Bronx, forget about him. Now, 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 you grew up as what kind of fan? Jets, Giants? Giants. I grew up a Giants fan. Okay. Giants fan. You're now a Giants fan. How do you get yourself in the mode to you, – you, 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 you've been a fan of this team all your life. Now, here you go. You get put over here. You know, how do you deal with that? And also – what did you have a chip on your shoulder? And what was your first oh, experience yeah. with Bill Cowher? Man, my first my first experience is so we so Pittsburgh, they when you land in Pittsburgh International, uh the coaches, they're kinda at the bottom of the escalator waiting for everybody coming off the plane. And so <laughs> you pull up, uh, you come down, they greet you, you get your bags, and a school bus pulls up. This is plain old yellow school bus pulls up, you throw your shit inside. And you pretty much drive to the facility, like kind of like if you're getting like you're getting picked, like got picked up to go to the Navy or some shit, like a military. <laughs> and they dump you right in front of Pittsburgh, and we go into the building, you know, do all the shit, all we got to do. But the next day we had to come in for meetings. And my this team had just won a Super Bowl, man. So they hype. The city's on fire. They still got all this swag. It's crazy. And I'm sitting in the room, and I'm now looking at Heinz Ward. I'm now looking at Troy Polamalu. I'm now looking at you know, Joey Porter. I'm now looking at James Ferry, like Casey. I'm looking at 
Warhol. I'm looking at warlords, you know, I'm not looking at the guys who, you know, they, these these guys' names are called all the time for making the plays and, and winning games. And so with all that, I'm sitting in the back with a couple more rookies and the places, everybody's kind of like, oh, what's up, man? Yeah, you know, everybody's talking, everybody knows each other. Soon as Bill Kyle walks in, bro, no bullshit you. I'm sitting down and he walks right in. And I and I it looked, I looked like a gold ring was a brown. Swear to God, I, like I froze, and the room went quiet. As soon as he walked in, everybody was laughing, yelling. As soon as he walked in, and he walks in, he turns, he looks at the team, and he he has a classic fucking chin, big steeler hat on, and I'm sitting there. He trying to he goes over the room, and he's like, "We have a target on our back this year. Let's get it done." Walks right out. And it was just like this eerie feeling. Everybody's like, Mar like that was our marching orders. Like, we know who we are. We know what it is. We, can, we, you know, we're the Steelers. Let's go to work. And it was just like, everybody got up to the locker room. And it was just wild, man. He was a hell of a coach. And I was fortunate to have him because he, he really allowed me, he really showed me what hard-nosed football was. Not that I wasn't playing it, but you understand the Hosher, I played in a two-point stance. I played in a spread offense. You go to Pittsburgh, you're putting your hand on the dirt, and we're running the ball. So I had to kind of re redefine my game and retune myself. And my office line coach was Russ Brim, one of the original Hawks. Yeah, so Russ was a dog. He was like, so I, he was like, he was the guy that showed up with a big, dip, crusty hat, and he just walked like a fucking, like an old, like old war general. So, and then at the time, my office line, it was Alan Fanica, my rookie year, uh, Jeff Harden, Matt Starks was the youngest on the line, Kendall Simmons and Marvel Smith, uh, the guy who I talked about earlier. So, that line had just won a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? They didn't need Willie Cologne. This team didn't need Willie Cologne. Everybody pretty much came back. Um, so, I was very insecure. I was very, I was playing against guys who I went to like USC, Georgia, uh, Auburn, and Virginia Tech, and all that, Florida State. Penn State, and here I was, this you know kid from Hofstra that really a lot of people didn't know about, and I was just like, I my mindset I was like I'm not going home, and I was just I just had I was like a I was a dog I was just like whoever wanted they gonna get it they don't have to kill me to cut me, and, and, and so that's how you because that that was gonna be the question the two questions I was gonna ask that you kind of answered was how do you earn respect in the locker room and you know, you walk in as a, you, you know, what is the hierarchy? You know, do the money guys sit with the money guys? And, like, how does it all work? Like, you said, you're in the room with Palomaro. You're in the room with Heinz Ward. You're in the room with um, uh, James, um... Terrier, Joey Porter. Yeah, Joey Porter, all these fucking yeah. serious dudes. What's the, you're, you're, you're in there, what are your immediate observations, and what's the hierarchy in the room? Well, it's different. So... Guys like Heinz Ward, guys like Alan Fanica, guys like Joey Porter, like those are the big, those are the big bad wolves in the locker room. But those are also the guys who led by example, right? Like when you talk about the ultimate professional, being in the weight room early, lifting. You know, when it came to practice, they're going full out. Um, they just led by example. But when it came to as far as earning, earning like your respect and your time in the locker room, it came down to trust, man. It came down to could the guy next to you, could the guy next to you trust you to do your job when encountered? And for for instance, I was a so it was, it was weird. So I was one of the at the time I was one of the youngest guys. In the, I was twenty two, twenty three when I got drafted. A lot of those guys were in their late twenties, early thirties. 
And so as the season, just talking about my rookie year, as the season kind of transpired, I wasn't playing because of the guys that the, the line from last year was starting. And so I was kind of like, you know, I was I had money for the first time. You know, I was I was still, you know, even though I didn't win the Super Bowl at that time, um, I was still kind of basking in their glory. I didn't have to wait on line. I was just kind of living that life. And I remember going to the locker room one time, or the locker room film room, and I was just talking about the night I had before with the homies and all this other crazy shit. And the guys who were actually starting and winning, uh, actually winning games for the Steelers, uh, they were just like, they just did, they didn't pay attention to me. It was almost like I, I was invisible. And I was, and I remember talking to Alafanica about that one time, and he was like, "Well, I was like, I was like, what's up, right here?" Because Alafanica's locker room, uh, locker room, exactly. Uh, right next to him, and he never talked to me. Like, didn't even when he came out of the weight room, he wouldn't even acknowledge me. He wouldn't even look at me. And I was just like, "Damn, like, what do I gotta do? Like, what the fuck's going on?" And so I think one time I was like, "Yo, what's up, Red man? Like, you, you know, because we call him, we call him Red because he got red hair." I was like, "Red man, what's up? Like, why are you didn't? Like, what's up? Like, I'm here." He was like, "Yeah, I see you," and then kind of kept pushing. So whatever. And then um. One time, uh, like he just didn't say, and I think I had my stuff in his locker, and he just kind of just kicked it and kept it moving. So I'm just like, all right, man, like whatever. And so I was like, Red, man, what's what's up, man? You don't talk to me, and like, you, you, we got beef, bro. And he was like, No, and he's like, No, not at all. I got nothing against you. And I was just like, oh, Okay, then so what's up? He's like, I just I just don't know you, and I don't trust you. And I was like, Trust? I was like, I was like, What do you mean by trust? He was like, Well, I only talk to people I trust. And he's talking, and he's talking in that tone. And I was just like, well, I was like, you, I was like, well, I haven't done anything to not earn your trust. Like, what do you, he goes, oh, he goes, okay. He goes, he pulls out, pulls out the playbook. At the time, the playbooks were in these big ass traffic keepers, right? And they had sheets and sheets of on. Now they're on a tablet and you can pretty much do whatever you want. So he goes, um, what's your position? I'm like, oh, I play right tackle. He goes, okay. He goes, do you know the right guard's position? I was like, a little bit. He goes, do you know the center? I was like, a little, not really. He goes, do you know the left guard? I was like, uh, whatever. Left tackle, right? I was like, I can. He goes, that's the problem. He goes, if if we need you to play left guard, if we're going against Buffalo, we need you to play left guard, and you don't know what you need, you don't know that position, we lose. I bet you if I t- if this if I ask Kenny Simmons, what does the left guard do? He can not only play the position, but he knows the position. We win. Those are people I trust. Those are people I talk to and walked away. And I was just like, face, face. And he was right. And he was so, and he's so, so right. Because in the NFL, man, like, first of all, to make the Pittsburgh Steelers, you have to be able to play multiple positions because you got to be able to play right tackle and you got to be able to play left tackle and you got to be able to be efficient at it. But you also got to know the job. You know, you got to know the position. And just because, my, I was drafted to play right tackle. If they have to put me at right guard, because injuries are, the, it happens. Injuries happen all the goddamn time. And if they, if they, they have to throw Willie Colon in there at right guard, he has to know his job. So why would Adam Fanica waste his time talking to somebody that doesn't know his fucking job? And I was just like, humble, humble. So now, so now, when you hear that, what do you do? What, what, like, you go to work. Alan Fanica's straight. He's, if he's not gold jacket, he's definitely going to be gold jacket soon. How do you? Right. How do you deal with? How do you internalize that, man? You go to work. 
you start taking your job serious. You start paying attention when instead of fucking around on the sideline, I was removing myself from the guys that were fucking around and I started listening. Started paying attention. I started learning the nuances. I started learning the game. And I would ask questions. And you know, how I perceived the game and how I saw things. And, and like, you know, I was in college, I wasn't really into reading blitzes. And I remember talking to Fanico one day and he was just like, I was like, man, how did, cause he was, he was so cerebral, bro. It was, it was insane for as good as he was physically as a ball player. He just saw everything. He just, he was just, he just saw it all. So, and, so again, so again, it's, it's from neck up, it's from the neck, neck up, neck up. It's, 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 it's weights and all that, but you, it's gotta you gotta be have, here. You gotta be a student of it. You gotta study. And I remember we were playing, I forgot what we were playing, but we we're talking about picking up blitzes. And he was like, well, Willie, how do you read the blitz, uh, blitzes? I was like, oh, I usually read the, the core. I read the nose tackle or I can see the linebacker. He just shook his head. He's like, no, read the safeties. The safeties will always tell you where the blitz is coming from because they either shade or they're rocking. If they disguise, somebody's off, somebody's on. So he's like, to read a blitz, you got to start with the safeties, then come down. Open my fucking eyes up. And, and it, that was 30 seconds of information that changed my whole career. So now when I was on the field, I would never look at the linebackers or the defense line. Find the safeties, find the linebackers. Cue who's in front of me, go. Know who the mic was at all time. Identify the mic, boom, off and running. He gave, he gave all that. But this is a guy who studied, who wasn't bullshit. He, didn't, he, he took his job serious. I mean, he wasn't an asshole, but he was like, listen, I'm going to spend time with guys who are about it. I'm not going to spend my time and effort getting to know guys. And at that time, here I was, a young bronze kid. Yeah, I had a big chip on my shoulder. Yeah, I was going to work and doing my job. But I was I wasn't in the sauce. I didn't know I knew I, I didn't know how the sauce was being made. And so yeah, I learned so much from him and those and you understand at the time that room was older. You know, I, I was talking about going to the club. These guys were talking about going home and doing homework with the kids. They didn't there was a different mindset. You know what I mean? Like I was I was bragging about, you know, having bottles and, and, and talking to this girl and doing XYZ. These motherfuckers was like, you know, after this three hour practice. I got to sit down with a three-year-old and figure out, you know, I got I to gotta teach this motherfucker how to write. Or I got to sit down with my 13-year-old and I got to, you know, I got to do algebra on top of just having a day I just had. So it was just, I had to grow up. I was in a room full of men. I wasn't, I, the three, it was only three young guys in that room. All the other guys were grown-ass men. So it forced me to grow up. It forced me to, like, if, when you sit around, like, you still, you from the block. When you sit around motherfuckers who are about some. Your demeanor changes. You don't, you don't, you don't, your sense is, you know, you don't talk, you don't talk recklessly. You're respectful, you listen more. So that's how I, that's, that's what I was birthed into. And um, it was just, I loved everything. It, it made me grow, it forced me to grow up. Now, now that's my, my next question, because it's, it's almost like you're listening, you're reading the paper. What makes a player bad for the locker room? Because the, the Steelers' culture, as you're saying it to me, the Steelers' culture is one of you better know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, you you better be on point. We don't tolerate motherfuckers. All the people who playing around, they gonna go. Yeah, you better be about it if you hear. What what, you, what makes a player bad for the locker? Well, to to uh, answer your point, the way the Steelers do it, like if you're not about it, you get exposed. So you can't hide, right? Because the culture and the standard of how they operate is very physical. Like they play, they pride themselves on physical, physical football, testing every man's will, will every day. And it's how we practice. 
It's how we we talk to each other. We was always competing with each other in the locker room. You can you can you can scan the locker room, bro, and you would see guys either playing connect four or playing trash can basketball or or a or, or, or just doing something competitive. We were always competing around each other, um, and so that was the culture. On top of that, what makes a guy cancerous is being uh, selfish, bro. If you're a selfish ball player, as far as your how you do being late to practice, um, not caring about your brother. Like one thing I, I pride I pride myself about our championship team. It was led by our defense. They were extremely, extremely selfish. If Ike Taylor had to guard Ocho Cinco, T.O., and whoever, he was going to do it. There was no, like, man, they, they trying to expose me. Like, it was your feelings didn't matter. It's just because you get it done, you needed to get it done for the better for the better men of the team. And guys were just so selfless, fearless. We hung around as a family. But the guys that were cancerous, and I've been to, you know, being with the Jets, Guys who I consider cancer were the guys who, instead of going to the coach and talking about it, they talked about they talked about it in the locker room, right? So if I had a problem, and I held and I held I held it in, and if this guy is around walking around walking around the locker room talking shit, now I feel like I have the courage to talk about it in the locker room too. Instead of saying, you know what, instead of being a bitch ass, let me go talk to my coach about the problem I have. Let me just let, let me just go right to the horse. Being late for meetings. Being late to practice, just just not being a professional. That's those are guys who are cancerous and guys who complain. Everybody got their shit, you know. What I mean, especially when you come home, like everybody has their own situations between their family and their marriages. Don't come or don't be a complainer. Like whatever your situation is, there's always somebody that can either help you or you could talk to about complaining all the time. Especially when you got a group of men trying to fight for for one goal, will tear down a locker room. And we just try to be, we try to be honest and, and forward with. Everything we did in Pittsburgh, man, and it was it was just a great culture because our coach didn't, you know, at the time having Bill Cowher and also having Mike Tomlin, they never they never sugarcoated anything. Like they 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 always kept us on in a, in a state like listen, we're not there yet. We're never there yet till we're hosting a Lombardi. So you can never be satisfied. Doesn't matter if the record's three and zero. Doesn't matter if we're the first seed. Like we never talked about playoffs because it was it was expected. Like that was like playoffs. So yeah, we're going to playoffs. That's not. Whatever. What are we gonna do when we get to the when we get to the show? What are we gonna do when the, when it's when it's championship time? That I remember we were having those we were having those discussions in August. Now you know the whole season has to be played, and we're talking about how are we gonna get to the Super Bowl. We weren't talking about how we get to the playoffs. We were talking about how we're gonna get to the Super Bowl, and that's just that nature and that's that culture was always real. So now you come from this great culture, and then you go into the Jets. How do you? Yeah. Like what the fuck are you? What are you saying to yourself? It was rough. It was rough because, one, I wanted to go to the Jets because of Rex Ryan. Uh, I had played against Rex Ryan because he was with Baltimore. And then we had just beat the Jets um, in the AFC Championship. And so I just loved him. And, and one, I had a soft spot for the Jets because in Hofstra, that's where the Jets did their training camp. So I was always seeing the Jets. Um, and then also Nick and Brick, they were part of my draft class. So I had I had a lot of love with them, and I was like, man, I get to play with these guys. Both guys had you know great careers playing with Rex Ryan. I get a chance to go home. It was a no brainer. So uh, it was it was different, man. Because when I got to the Jets, they had released all the OGs. Bart Scott was gone. You know, Jason Taylor was gone. Uh, so you know, Damian was gone. 
uh, on and on. A bunch of the guys who were huge uh, at the time, Revis was gone. Revis had just went to Tampa. Uh, so it was really like Crow, David Harris, Brick, and Nick. So kind of the core guys were kind of around, but the, the big main guys, the older guys were all gone. Uh, so when I got to the Jets, man, there was kind of like this, this not this, they, we had it to grow. We, we needed to grow up because the team had got a lot younger. At the time, we were the second youngest team in the NFL um, with a bunch of guys who still had scars from losing in the AFC Championship who really weren't over it. Uh, and so I just had to come in there and just be this battle-hardened veteran who knew how to play football. And I tried to do it, and I tried to do it uh, with everything I had, man. And just you know, a lot of things just didn't work in our favor. We just didn't have the talent, nor did we have um, enough guys to go to war with. Wow. It's, it's quick. That's what I was going to ask you, too. A lot of times you hear when people are checking a, a, a player out for the NFL, they're saying, does he love to play football? What does that mean? Why would you not love? Why would you be on the field if you don't love to do it? School is the most. I can't tell you how many guys I've played with. The five, I, I can name five who had all the God-given ability. All, I mean, all, to do it all. Just didn't love it. Just didn't love it. And it showed, and those, and those turned out to be the guys who ended up being the cancers most of the time in the locker room. Um, I mean, for instance, one guy, man, I'm talking about, I mean, he was he physically had it all, but just didn't like the game. And I think a lot of times, listen, to love football, I, used to, I, I, always, get, I always tell the story. I remember it was like, was, uh, I was with the Steelers, and it was snowing. It was cold. I mean, it was, it was a bitter cold. Uh, and me and my brother stayed together. We lived together. And you have to be in the locker room at 6.15. So I, I lived about 30 minutes outside, uh, about 25 minutes outside the practice facility. I would get up at like 4.45, you know, shit, shower, shave, get to my car. I used to heat up a big pot of hot water, go outside, and defrost my car. And defrost my door handles. Mind you, my knees, I got I got ice packs on my knees, I got ice pack on my shoulder. You know, I'm 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 broke up. It's week fifteen. I'm just thinking, this just make it. And at this time, and then, you know, that's all I had. But with all that, man, I loved it. Like I love that I get to play football. I love that I'm playing on a team that's competing for a Super Bowl. I love everything that was going. It wasn't about my physical, it wasn't about me being late because I was injured. It wasn't about me being late because my car. Is, is, is pretty much an ice block. It was, I got to defrost this car, I got to be on time, and I got to have my ass in the weight room by 6.15. So that, that, if that means I got to get up two hours early to get all that stuff out the way, then that's what I had to do. That's called being a professional. And I didn't want to let my teammates down. I didn't want to be that guy that other guys could point to, like, see, look at him, late, late. We, you know what I mean? And guys are late. It happens for whatever reason. But you don't want to be that guy, a repeat offender. And I didn't want to be that guy. So I would do, I would do whatever it took for me not to get uh, be that guy, and um, you know, I just try to carry myself like that. Wow, so it's, it's crazy, and you're you're you know, you guys practicing, you're hitting each other hard. Why are you doing that when it, you should be saving that for when you go out and play a game? Why are you going full skin, full power against each other in the practice when you get when you can get hurt and you won't even have enough to, to be out there and do your real job? Well, one you don't one you don't practice to hurt your your teammate, but no, one thing they, get hurt. yeah. But one thing my my Tom always says, and it's one hundred percent true: iron sharp as iron. 
You know what I mean? Like it, it, it takes to to be a battle hard, a battle hard and tough, you know, vet or football player. You got to go. You got to practice against somebody who has the same type of mentality, the same type of pursuit. Um, and that's what we had, man. We had guys who practice hard, and we practice so hard. The games were easy. Like the games, I would walk out here yeah, because we. I see, I've, I've got my ass kicked more in practice than actually on the game. Just going against Aaron Smith and Casey Hampton and and, and Joey Porter, like those guys practice hard, man. Like they got after your ass. So if you thought you were just going to have a day and pack it in, you're going to get embarrassed. Like you had to show up and really have your wits about you. And But that's what made Sundays fun for us because we were going against guys who weren't about that life, who just was like, you know, fourth quarter. We're still running the ball down your throat, and, and, it's, and it's turning us on. Like we, the violence turned us on as a team, and but we were practicing with guys who had the mentality. So to play Sunday, you know, we were going against teams who, you know, I've, I've played against two teams, and I put my hand on the Bible that physically they tap. They looked at us like we're done. To to have that, to see it, I've seen it. I've looked at guys' eyes. They they, they won't make eye contact. They're like, man, chill out. We only got three. We only got five minutes left in the court. I just want to look. y'all going to win. Let's let tell, you're telling you that? Yeah, yeah. We I've played. I've played against guys like, listen, man, I ain't trying to get hurt out here. Let's just be cool. What, what, because we were just such a physical outfit. We just we was like, man, the, the harder you want it, it just turned us on. We was gonna knock your fucking teeth out. And that was just the way we practiced, and that was just the culture of the Steelers. Wow, so so you're t- you know I, I always hear people say you know I always hear Joe Beningo or some people say oh he quit that the team quit they did that that's real. Yeah, guys, it, you understand if if it's week fourteen, you don't have a chance to make the playoffs and you know you're done. Now guys are in vacation mode. One day trying to have surgery at the end of the season, so they they they're pretty much trying to be like, listen, fourth quarter we ain't going to the playoffs. My last year with the team, I got this incentive where I got to play an X amount of snaps to get my bonus. They'll look at a guy, but hey, man, be cool, man. And I've had guys do that. Like, listen, we ain't going to the playoffs. It's over. Just, you know, put, take your foot off the gas a little bit. Like, I, I've seen it. I've seen it. And I've, I had guys talk like that. On so the what field. do you do? What do you do? This is, this is fucking amazing. Like, I, I'm hearing shit I've never heard. What do you do when somebody, when somebody say, yo, man, come on, man, just, just, you know. You can you can either be you can either be the guy that be like all right man or you can be like me and I ain't give a fuck. And I was just like I got a job to do I'm gonna do my job because if I don't you do my job then I'm, I'm gonna get cussed out. Right, right. So yeah, so if I got still running, still running them over, still just still running them over. Okay. Yeah, I'm still gonna try to dog their ass. Yep. Wow. So 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 here's a question. Here's a question. There's so many things that I. I my mind is fucked up. Like people, these are the kind of conversations I love because I watch football and you never get this inside kind of view. Um, years ago, there was an incident with Richie Incognito and I forget the kid, maybe his name was Jonathan Martin and he was being bullied yeah. by him. How, do, how can somebody that gets beat up, knocked down, deals with pain on a regular basis, basically when you, when you run a play, it's almost like you're fighting. How could that person be bullied? Well, you could always be bullied, man. I think there's a perception just because you're 6'5", 320 pounds that words don't hurt. Not everybody's built for nobody's, – nobody's, not a, lot of, a lot of people aren't built for that kind of verbal assault, and particularly when it's guys who you, who you go to battle with, right, and particularly guys who are in your own unit, you know. And so a lot of guys are sensitive. You know, I was, 
I, w- I was a sensitive guy. I didn't, I didn't take jokes well. Um, and I didn't, but I also wasn't like my, my rebuttal was like, I'm gonna see you in practice. I'm just, I'm gonna whoop your ass. You know what I mean? That was my, re- or, you know, we could just, we could just throw the hands up. We can we, we, be men about it. But not everybody has that. You know what I mean? Some people aren't fighters. Some people aren't, you know, they can't clap back. They don't have that type of, or that ammo. So. Oh, you're in a fighting business. What the fuck are you talking about? I, listen, I'm gonna, really, I played three, three, I played three snaps in 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 in, in Jefferson Park in Harlem. One time, right. do 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 dirt in my face. He, he did something. Once he threw the dirt in my face, and it was all in my eyes. This is not the game for me, man. Fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> so so that wasn't my shit. But if you are out there doing that, then that's obviously your shit. Why are you? How did you get bullied? I, I don't understand how a dude can scare the fuck out of you and you getting you fighting a motherfucker every day. Scoop, you're dealing with dudes from all over the country, from different walks of life. Um, some guys don't handle Jones and well, um, and particularly when you when it's when it's one guy particularly getting Jones all the time or getting clapped at all the time. Um, and it's tough enough to do the job, right? It's tough enough to receive the criticism not only from your coaches but from the papers and reporters, and then step up in the room. And you know, have the guys who you who who are supposed to be your brothers, you know, bang on you all day. A lot of guys don't can't handle that well. And with all that said, like I said, with all that said, there's two ways of handling it. You can either be like, "Yo, enough is enough, stand up for yourself," or you can you can you can I don't know, tell somebody. I don't know how to handle. It. I know how I handled it. And I'm like, Look, I'm, if I if I felt like I was you know if I couldn't handle it, then I was just like, "Listen, you want scrap." We we scrap and then be over with, and most of the time that that kind of neutralized everything. So, um, but that, but that's not even also the mature way of doing it. Like some like sometimes walking away or just be like yo you know chill out is the better way. But I was just you know I just felt like a punch in the mouth. I was neutralized a lot. So okay, well, uh, I want to get you the last couple of questions about the NFL. <sighs> couple last couple of questions about the NFL because I mean this shit I could talk about this shit all day. If you were in the NFL right now, would you be Neil? If I was what? If you were in the NFL today, would you right. be kneeling for the national anthem? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Tell me. I why. tell you what. So I got a story for you. So I I I I've left the NFL in sixteen. That was when the Caps protest happened. So I was still like on a free. I was in the free agency. I was trying to come back later in the year, and um. I remember talking to, I was talking to somebody about it. I was, talking, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, "Man, I don't know if I'll be nailing, man. Like, you gonna be messing with my money and all this other stuff." And I'm having this conversation, I'm, and I'm, and my wife kind of turns her head and she's like, "So you saying you wouldn't nail?" And I was like, "Nah, I don't think I'll, I don't, I don't know if I would nail. I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I, I, I really, you know, not if it, because I was, it was, we were watching guys who were." It seemed like we're getting in trouble for it. Like it sounded like their money was going to be in jeopardy, right? And I was just like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I want to keep the roof over my head. I'm, I'm thinking about me, 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 pretty much. And uh, my wife, she just put her head down, and she was like, "Wow, um, I didn't know I married a coward." And I was just like, "Coward?" I was like, "How am I coward?" She was like, "So let me understand this. It was our people, your people, who not only marched." got beaten, stood up time after time for you to have the ability to, to sit next to white folks, be able to vote, 
be able to even live in a neighborhood with white folks. They they sacrifice so much for us to be in this position. And you telling me uh, a guy with a college education who has means, who has the who has the uh, the mental ability to step outside the field and actually earn a living for himself. You telling me you won't kneel for the better cause? And I was like, uh, ah, nah. and she was just like, yeah, she's like, I think you may want to think about that. And she was right. She was like, you know, what Kaepernick protests and what he's standing up for is so much bigger than me. You know what I mean? And then on the flip side, I remember talking to Stephen A about it and he was just like, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough position to be in because if you're, you're a year one, two, three guy who hasn't received a check yet or a new contract, you know, you are putting yourself out there, especially when the owners have all the power. If they feel like you're going to be a distraction, that's why they, they have the power to remove you, a la Colin Kaepernick. Um, but then there's guys who are later in their careers, like I was, who, you know, I, I had two contracts at the time. I made a good, good money, a good living lifestyle for myself, and I was able to walk away. Fine, great. Um, to say that I wouldn't kneel, my wife was assaulted by that, and I totally agree. I was assaulted that I said it because Kaepernick was is, is, his his protest, and we're in 2020. We're still dealing with the same shit he was standing up for. Um, and I mean, even with the recent shooting that just happened not too long ago uh, down in Texas, so um, I was embarrassed that I had said that out loud, and she she put me in my place, and I'm glad she did. Listen, man. As you know, Colin Kaepernick's girlfriend is Nessa from High 97. Yep. I was in High 97 doing something, uh, doing an interview, and Cap was in there. This is two separate times. This is the first. First time is right when he goes, um, when he goes free agent. And um, he's in there. I'm like, yo, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be cool. Blah, blah, We talking about a bunch of different shit. The second time is like, you know, when he, they not fucking with it. They right. really not fucking right. So I said, I said, yo, Cap, let me ask you a question, man. He's like, what? I said, listen, I'm going to be no disrespect. Just listen to what I'm saying. I'm very comfortable with my sexuality. I'm going to say this and be real with you. Number one, you can play. You can ball. Number two, you're a light-skinned brother. And number three, you're a handsome dude. Okay? You know, you're a handsome dude. You could be one of the faces of the NFL. Like, why in the fuck are you doing this? And he looked me in my face, man. He said... I don't care, man. This is about the babies. He said, I don't care if I play another down in the NFL in my life. I'm fighting for the babies, period. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm about this. I'm about this. I, you know what I said to him? I said, yo, Cat, let me tell you something. You're going to be an icon. You're going to be an icon. You're going to be this generation's Muhammad Ali. Sure enough, that shit happened. So, I mean, I, I mean, I knew, I, I understood what was going to happen. Why is the NFL not in the ball? I think there's lack of preparation. I mean, it, it takes a lot to put a whole entire team in a bubble, right? Just like to put the New York Giants in a bubble requires there's so many moving parts. It, it, it's a hard thing to do, but they just weren't prepared. I don't think they were prepared. Um I think now they're kind of seeing like, all right, we may have to, we may have to kind of, you know, shift lanes and do something else, or we have to figure this out because more and more guys are popping over COVID. But I just think they didn't know how to handle it. I think they just weren't prepared. Um, and so here we are. I think you know, you talk about the Tennessee Titans. I mean, they be they're not, they may not be playing Tuesday. I know the game got pushed back against the Bills, um, 
But, you know, if guys keep popping up with COVID, which is going to happen, especially down south, like Texas, Texas and Florida, they wide-ass open. They, I mean, they, COVID never happened to them. Right. Um, I mean, for Christ's sakes, the, the Dolphins, they're going to max capacity on Sunday. Um, the Steelers, I think they have 25% people in the building. Um, and so when you have, you know, different regions of the country respecting what we're trying to do, like, you know, some people trying to wear masks and the social distance, X, Y, Z, and then you got some folks down south who just like, the hell with it, life goes on. So there's going to be, it's, it's tough, man. It's, and I, I think also, like, for instance, I said this um, last week, the Steelers were supposed to be playing the Tennessee Titans, right? That didn't happen because of COVID. But if I'm, and I'm just putting on, I'm putting on the Mr. Rooney hat. If I'm Mr. Rooney, and my team is currently 3-0, I have a 38-year-old quarterback. I'm talking football, right? I will, besides the optics that they can potentially give to their family and all this stuff, I'm just talking strictly football. I'm playing, I'm the Mr. Rooney. My team is currently 3-0. I got a 38-year-old quarterback. I, got, I have a very, very good defense playing at a high level right now. Why would I take my ass down to Nashville and get one of my guys to tam- you know, infected with COVID? Why I should have the ability to forfeit that game, and it should not be a penalty against me. And including that, listen, the, the Titans aren't a division team. You know, if it's different if they're playing the Ravens or Cincinnati or Cleveland. It's just another game on a, on a schedule for the for the Steelers. So it's I'm 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 of the mindset that you know I mean I I, I don't know if I would have pulled my team in that situation. I'm like till they get in control, we'll give us. I'll take the loss or just whatever. But I'm not putting my team in that in that, in that predicament. Especially when we don't have cases in our own locker room. Right, hundred percent. Did you ever, did you ever experience racism in the NFL? Being that the NFL is seventy-seven point six percent black, did you ever experience any racism? Not really. No, no. I never. Nobody's ever called me a nigger or anything like that. Um, I've never saw. I've never felt anything. I've never seen or felt anything that made me be like, "What? What? What's that about?" So. When you, when you, when you are, when you, what happens when you get hurt? Because people don't understand, people don't understand what happens when you get hurt. You see people crying and all of that. What, why, why are they going off and crying from getting hurt? Now I understand it's because you got hurt, but what happens when you get hurt? Is there a monetary piece to that? So I was, I was, that affected me because I was I was I ended up jumping on IR three times in my career. Um, one time, my first IR, I tore my Achilles. I was two weeks before training camp. I was running, tore my Achilles. That was a heartbreaker because I really, as a ball player, I felt like I was really starting to hit my stride. I feel like I was really starting to kind of. Well, I, I felt like I got a good handle on how to prepare, how to kick ass, just how to be a pro. And I was excited to go into that season and really kick ass and dominate. So I really felt good. I had really good. Uh, you know, I was working out. I felt really, really good. And I tore my Achilles and I was sick. Uh, and so that happened. And then I came back the following year. And the first game against Baltimore, two minutes, I think three minutes <clears throat> left in the quarter. And I, and I tore my tricep. And I didn't even know I tore my tricep. I, I, thought, I, got, I thought I got kicked. And um, and when I got back to the locker room, I came, and, I, and I finished the fourth quarter. I played with it. I just I just thought I had like a Charlie horse or something. I really didn't have the power, but I could still move and, and get around. I was like, okay, I'll be all right. And then they uh, they pretty much was like, listen, man, you tell your process. That was that was really really hard because I had just got off IR. Uh, and then the third time was my knee. Uh, I hurt my knee. I tore a ligament in my knee against uh, I think Baltimore again. T. Suggs put a helmet to my my knee and I tore a ligament. And then when I got to the Jets, 
my first year with the Jets, I got a, I blew my bicep late in the fourth quarter, blew my bicep. And so I had suffered. And then I got my last year with the Jets. I ended up on IR halfway through the season because my knees uh, went bad on me. So I was a guy that was riddled with injuries. And I was sad, one, because I felt early in my career when I first got hurt, I was, in, I felt good. I felt like I was really kind of getting in my stride and that got taken away from me. And then on top of that, you know, I was never injured before. A lot of guys, like, I was never really, I didn't have no major injuries in hospital or in college, especially early in my career. So to do, to go through that, and then you understand, when you guys go on IR, like I was, I rehabbed all day. You know what I mean? While the team's going out there practicing, preparing to win games, I'm in the, I'm in the training room trying to get better, trying to get feel better, and I'm kind of isolated from the team. And you kind of have this, you know, there's this separation that you develop. So the team's working to get better, and you're kind of just over here trying to play catch up, get ready for ne- get ready for next year. And I was really, I was really fortunate. And my office and line coach in Pittsburgh, uh, Sean Kugler, uh, when I got hurt, he said, "Listen, I can't. I'm not going to let you waste away because a lot of guys get to drinking. Um, you know, they call it. They they go into the building, and then they disappear and they get into trouble. And they're doing. They just get into a toxic lifestyle because." The team is being a team. And while you're kind of off to the side, you know, you're just by yourself. But he was like, listen, I want you to – I still want you to be a part of this room. And he would allow me to come into the room and, and, and talk to the guys and, and give, like, scout reports and to still be a part of it in any way fashion I could, even though I couldn't participate. And that really kept me sane because I was – I was I went to – I went to – I went to a dark period in my career where I just – I felt jinxed, man. Like, why – a guy who never got hurt, who's always tough as nails, why is this happening to me? And uh, I come to come to find out later in my career, I had a, I got with this doctor. And it was really he was like, and I was he's like, where where are your injuries happening at? And I was like, oh, on the right side. I was like, you know, I tore my right bicep, I tore my right Achilles, um, I tore my you know, I tore a ligament in my right knee. He was like, yeah, it's head trauma. And, and considering I was playing the right tackle, all my all everything I was taking on was coming from the right side of my my body and brain. So I was constantly having repetitive contact uh, and taking on trauma uh, from me playing right tackle. And he was just like, he's like, yeah, it's just over time, your brain starts to kind of absorb all that and your body breaks down. So he broke it down and he, uh, he's, he's, he's a big into kinesiology and uh, he explained it to me and it made total sense. Uh, this is how he broke it down. So, um, but that's just a game. Man. Do you, do you, but what I'm saying is when you get hurt, do you still get paid or, you know, yeah, you still get paid. Yeah, yeah. I see guys crying. I'm thinking maybe they're not getting paid or something. Well, school, it takes a lot to get out there. You know, you, you, go through, you go through the training camps. I mean, you go through training. You talk about being with your family, um, your family supporting you, and, and they're excited for the season. Then you get through a training camp, which is hard enough, and then you get ready for the season. And to put all that work in and to be done possibly week one or week two when you got a 16-game season, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a lot, man. It's rough. It's rough. Okay, it's rough. Final question. What do you think about the business of the NFL? Do you take it personally, you know, when, when somebody cuts you? Or they, you know, how they, how they deal with people? They get rid of them like it's, you know, they're moving people around like it's nothing. Do you take that personally? And do you believe that when you have the power, you should, ex- you should exert it against them? Well, it's always going to be a business with it, with its, um, in the day, it is always going to be a business. I think it's you know for a guy like me who drank the Pittsburgh Steeler juice, like I, I thought I was going to retire Steeler. I was so 
And I felt so privileged and proud to be a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers. When I got hurt and I knew I was going to get released, um, you know, they had an opportunity to pay me $5 million or a young left guard by the name of Ramon Foster $5 million, who wasn't hurt, right? So here I was pretty disguided who was, who was injury-ridden, but they loved. But they was like, listen, we're going to give this money to this young guy who I know we can get more out of. And that's just the game, right? So I can be bitter about that. Or could I, I can simply understand it. And I understood it. But are there, are there things that kind of – are the things that happen within the business that the shady, sure. But there's, there's it's hard for players to not handle business with our emotions because that's all we have is our pride. We always wear our heart on our sleeves. Some guys can wear it better and be like, listen, I have my time, I'm off. Some guys are just like, you know, when they get cut from the team, it's tough and they wear it and it's, it's more it's more of an emotional impact than ever for guys. But it's all, it's hard, man. It's just hard. I don't know how to explain it. The business, you can always kind of have that mercenary uh, mercenary mentality where it's like, you know, I, well, I get paid to kick ass. Once they stop paying me, I'm going to go kick, some, kick ass for somebody else. But everybody's not built like that, so. Got you, got you. Finally, tell everybody about the Two Bigs podcast, Barstool, how you, how you wound up at Barstool, which is a huge platform, and, and, and what you do. Yeah, so currently I'm on a, so it's wild because a lot of things are shifting right now. There's a lot going on with Barstool, but currently uh, I have a morning show on Sirius XM Channel 85 called Barstool Breakfast with me and my co-host Large. He's on, he's on Wall Street for like 25 years. Smart man, dad. Great blogger, great writer, uh, funny as all hell, big time foodie. So I do the morning show with him. And my podcast, uh, my football podcast is called Going Deep with me and Stephen Che. Uh, you can find it on Spotify and, and also Joey uh, Molinaro. He's an impressionist. He's a comedian. Uh, so we talk about everything football related. And Two Bigs was with Brandon Newman, um, which we had you on. Well, Brandon has left Barstool. He's no longer with Barstool. He took, he has taken off. <laughs> yeah, right. What was he so, doing? He's gone. He's he's gonna he's gonna he's off. He's gonna start his own thing and start his own media company. He wants to kind of be his own boss, so he's gonna go and do that. So two bigs is currently on hold, and I'm looking for somebody else possibly to join me or uh, move on to do something else. So that's what's going on right now. But you got but you got you got you got two leaders. You good? Even even yeah. two bigs goes away. You got two media looks. You good? You keep moving. You keep. Again, like these kind of conversations are the conversations that I have just, you know, on the phone and fucking highly enlightening for anybody who loves the NFL because now I'm going to be looking at shit different in the fourth quarter. And Deion yeah. Sanders said that. He said yeah. that. He said, he said something about practice. He said, we not cut. Are you, how do you practice? People making deals in practice. They said, go easy on me. Nah, you can't do that because in the fourth quarter, that's when you say, you said it. I didn't. I never understood yeah. you said it. That's when you see what people have. Yep, yep. I was always a guy, I was always conscious about, especially I had a, a good buddy of mine. He's a scout. He's a big-time scout in the NFL. And he said anytime, because a lot of teams, like they know who's going to be free agents for the following year. So they, they look at guys and they're like, man, if, when, when this guy hits the market, we're going to you know throw an offer at him or potentially sit down and talk to him. And he was like, we pay attention to how guys look. When it's like 10 minutes or less in the fourth quarter, that's when they start paying attention to body language and effort. You know what I mean? When you start, when, when a guy was willing to make that tackle in the second quarter, but now in the fourth quarter, he's down touchdown. And he's like, man, do I, do I make this tackle? Do I go all out or do I just, kind of just getting his way, hopefully so I don't get hurt making the tackle. 
You know, he goes, you want guys that finish the game. It's all about finish the game. The effort you put in the first quarter is the same effort you got to have in the fourth quarter. And when you can see guys late in the fourth quarter start dialing back a little bit of starts, start making business decisions <laughs> while playing football, and that hurts sometimes. That's when those are the good, those most of the time. That's when injuries happen. Because you got one guy going full speed, you got another guy thinking about his wallet, and you can't when you hit on you when you get on that field. It got to be all football until that whistle's done and the, and the game is over. So um, the fo- football is a hell of a sport. I'm I'm in I'm in love with it. I feel, a lot of times I tell a lot of people I feel like I'm in debt to the game of football because it's given me so much. Um, but you know, it, not everybody has the same type of passion and grit I have. So. And uh, I'm just, I'm just blessed. Thank you, brother. We'll talk later, man. Like, I could talk, I could be on this shit for four hours just asking because <laughs> you know, I, it's like it's. I'm never gonna do that. I'm gonna touch a stage and I'm gonna do my <laughs> shit, but I'm never gonna do that. We'll talk right. later, brother. God bless. Love, bro. Thanks for having me on. That's my guy, Hayes, man. Willie Cologne right there. Make Noise with Fat Man Scoop is produced by myself alongside Raj Kachetcha and the team at creativecontentagency.com. Please support this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I love that. And by following this podcast on Spotify and sharing links to episodes you enjoy with your friends. Do it. You can also email the show via podcast at fatmanscoop.com. I answer that. Or you can DM me at Fat Man Scoop. Yes, I answer DMs.